the title of this morning's message is Once and for All Access. This morning, we are continuing in the book of Hebrews, and we are finally entering into chapter 10. <laughs> in chapter 10, the author of Hebrews continues to contrast the differences between the perfect sacrifice of Jesus and the inadequate sacrifices required under the Old Covenant law. The author's purpose for doing this is to try to convince the Hebrew baby believers that Jesus' sacrifice is completely sufficient to pay their sin debt in full forever, and that it was also entirely effective in bringing forth God's will and God's new and last testament, whereby we have inherited unrestrained access to God himself and his entire kingdom. Access to God and his life, his power, his kingdom, has always been the goal of forgiveness. I know it sounds kind of funny because in our mind, forgiveness was all about not going to hell. <laughs> that really wasn't the point. The point was, do you have access to the one who is so great and wonderful? The Israelites went through all of the rituals and made all of the prescribed sacrifices for the express purpose of gaining access to God. And if you have access to God, then you automatically have access to his power, his presence, his provision, and his protection, all of which these Hebrew baby believers really wanted. <laughs> but under the Old Covenant, access to God was very limited. In the beginning of the Old Covenant, God lived in the midst of Israel. And they could see that he was present amongst them because he manifested himself in either a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. But only Moses and Aaron actually had direct access to him. And even then, it was only when God summoned them <laughs> or when Aaron performed the required sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. But the Israelites themselves never had full and direct access to God and his presence. They couldn't just stroll into the Holy of Holies and have coffee and conversation with God, like we get to do all the time. If an ordinary Israelite had tried to enter the holy place, or the most holy place, they would have instantly died. <laughs> Again, not because God was mad or angry, but only because he is so different <laughs> in his nature from fallen humanity. We are the ice cube-natured people who simply melt in the presence of the living God in our fallen state. And God didn't want us melting all over the place. <laughs> I didn't want them <laughs> that for them. God is in his presence even more glorious and even more powerful than even the sun itself. And these Hebrew baby believers were well acquainted with this concept. So to them, God himself was unapproachable, especially if you had sinned. <laughs> and when they did sin, their guilty conscience would ever so loudly condemn them and cause them to want to bring another sacrifice in order to once again become right with God, whereby he would be inclined to answer their prayers and meet their needs. Doesn't that sound familiar? 
The Hebrew baby believers were so heavily indoctrinated in law-keeping and performance as the means of making themselves right with God that switching over to living by faith in Jesus, <laughs> believing in Jesus' law-keeping and Jesus' performance in fulfilling all the will of God was hard. You wouldn't think it would be, but when you're so used to trusting yourself and your own ability to make yourself right with God, putting that into God's hands can be scary. They had spent their whole lives trusting in their own ability to keep the law, which is totally ridiculous because they never could. <laughs> and because they never could, they had to bring sacrifices. So they would trust in the fact that they brought an offering to God as a means of apprehending forgiveness. And to stop doing that <laughs> and to rely on just Jesus and his finished work was both hard and scary. Years ago, I had a conversation with a young lady, a believer, who had come into the message of grace, and she said, can't I just do the right things? <laughs> do I have to get out of the boat and trust God? <laughs> and I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> you have to get out of the boat. Because what you can do will never achieve what Jesus has already done. It is safe to trust in Jesus. Because it was hard and scary for these baby believers, the author of Hebrews keeps trying to show them how much better Jesus and the New Testament really are as compared with the Old. They needed to be able to understand who Jesus really is and what it is that Jesus really accomplished so that their faith in him and his finished work could bring them into a place of rest, both spiritually and physically. So before I begin reading in chapter 10, I want to back up a few verses so that we can better understand the author's point, that what Jesus has accomplished is a finished work that never needs to be repeated or added to. Beginning in verse 24, chapter 9, in the Passion Translation. For the Messiah did not enter into the earthly tabernacle made by men, which was but an echo of the true sanctuary, but he entered into heaven itself to appear before the face of God in our place. Under the old system, year after year, the high priest entered the most holy sanctuary with blood that was not his own. But the Messiah did not need to repeatedly offer himself year after year. And I've added a little note or sin after sin. <laughs> For that would mean that he must suffer repeatedly ever since the fall of the world. This is what so many believers struggle to understand. If Jesus' sacrifice wasn't continually and eternally effective, then his sacrifice would have been no better than those under the Old Covenant. And he would have to die every year. And that's the whole point of this verse. Jesus' sacrifice for sin only needed to be accomplished once because it is continually and eternally effective. Continuing in verse 26. But now he has appeared at the fulfillment of the ages to abolish sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself. Every human being is appointed to die once and then to face God's judgment. And again... For us, this is a good thing. <laughs> uh, I can prove it to you. First John 4, 17. 
Herein is our love made perfect or complete, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. We are as Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. So when judgment day comes, what is he going to see? Jesus! <laughs> we don't have to be afraid of seeing the very face of God. Verse 28. But when we die, we will be face to face with Christ, the one who experienced death for all to bear the sins of many. And now to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to bring us the fullness of salvation. And for these Hebrew baby believers, this fullness of salvation referred to here was the miraculous deliverance from the complete destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. The salvation that they needed and were really looking for <laughs> was a physical salvation. They knew judgment was going to come, and they didn't want to participate. <laughs> they just didn't know how they were going to get out. But God had a miraculous plan. And before I begin reading chapter 10, I need to explain the translation difference. I really like the Passion Translation as a contemporary translation because most of the time they do a really good job of explaining the scripture's meaning. They do, however, often insert a possessive pronoun directed at today's reader instead of leaving the original intent of the reader of that day. So as you will see, I inserted the appropriate possessive pronoun, there instead of our, <laughs> beginning with verse 1. The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there still was nothing that could make their hearts perfect and complete before God. And that's because their hearts were still sinful and stubborn. <laughs> And in order to be free from the constant demand for yet another sacrifice, they needed an eternally effective sacrifice, one that could actually satisfy both God's justice and his love and completely change who and what we are. Verses 2 and 3. For if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered, and the worshippers would have clean consciences. Instead, once was not enough. So by the repetitive sacrifices year after year, the worshipers were continually reminded of their sins with their hearts still impure. In other words, they knew that the sacrifices didn't change who and what they were on the inside. <laughs> they were sinners who continued to sin. So they continued to need yet another sacrifice to cover their sins for the express purpose of renewing their access to God and his blessing. It was always and forever about access. And this is the same mindset that the author of Hebrews is trying to change. He wants them to be able to rest by faith in the eternally effective sacrifice of Jesus. They were having issues with that because your conscience will hurt you. <laughs> and you will try to make it be quiet. And that's what they were doing. They wanted their consciences to be quiet. So even though they had Jesus, they were still taking lambs to the temple. 
because that's their understanding. Once was never enough under the Old Covenant. So now, a once forever sacrifice is hard to believe, hard to trust. Verse 4. For what power does the blood of bulls and goats have to remove sin's guilt? Easy answer. None. <laughs> None. In fact, the King James says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to remove or take away sin, which was their real problem. Verse 5. So when Jesus the Messiah came into the world, he said unto his father, since your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you have clothed me with a body that I might offer myself instead. Again, the author keeps bringing back scripture to them, their own scriptures that they knew, so that they can go, oh, that's what he meant by that. <laughs> in this verse, the author is quoting Psalms 40, verses 6 through 8 in particular. But I want you to see and hear the verses preceding verses 6 through 8 as well. So I have it for you also in the Passion Translation, verses 1 through 8. For the pure and shining one, a song of poetic praise by King David. I waited and I waited and I waited some more, <laughs> patiently, knowing God would come through for me. Then at last he bent down and listened to my cry. He stooped down to lift me out of the danger from the desolate pit I was in, out of the muddy mess I had fallen into. Now he's lifted me up into a firm, secure place and steadied me while I walk along his ascending path. A new song for a new day rises up in me every time I think about how he breaks through for me. Ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth until everyone hears how God has set me free. Many will see his miracles. They'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. Blessing after blessing comes to those who love and trust the Lord. They will not fall away, for they refuse to listen to the lies of the proud. O Lord our God, no one can compare with you. Such wonderful works and miracles are all found with you. And you think of us all the time <laughs> with your countless expressions of love, far exceeding our expectations. If not sacrifices that really move your heart. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, that's not what brings you joy. But when you open my ears and speak deeply to me, I become your willing servant, your prisoner of love for life. At first glance, this looks like David is saying that God has simply caused David to be able to hear him. But that's not what David is actually aiming at in this psalm. He's talking about how David has presented himself to God in wholehearted devotion and faith. And God has responded to him by piercing his ear with an awl against the doorpost of his house, metaphorically speaking. Under the old covenant, when a servant loved his master and wanted to stay with him forever, he could ask to become a bondservant. In other words, the master would take complete responsibility for the life of his bondservant and would faithfully meet all of his needs all the days of his life. And then the bondservant, out of love, out of gratitude, would faithfully fulfill the will of his master all the days of his life. 
It was all about love. The bondservant would fulfill the master's will because of love. And so it is with our Jesus, out of love for the Father. Jesus would willingly fulfill the written will of the Father. And that's how I want you to think about this, about God's will in this uh, passage of Scripture. Think of it as a written document that Jesus came to bring into effect, just like God's last will and testament, whereby we inherit all that God is and all that God has. Continuing in verse 7, David writes, So I said, Here I am. <laughs> I'm coming to you as a sacrifice, for in the prophetic scrolls of your book you have written about me. I delight to fulfill your written will. Whatever is written in the Old Covenant, <laughs> all through the Scriptures, I delight to fulfill your written will, my God, for your living words are written upon the pages of my heart. As you can see, I've added the word written in front of the word will. And that's because we need to think about this as Jesus fulfilling and executing God's last will and testament. There's never going to be another one. There's never going to be another sacrifice. There's never going to be another inheritance. It's all come to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father has made all of this plain through the scriptures because he knew these Hebrew baby believers and even us today. <laughs> We need to hear this, that it had always been God's heart. It was always about him providing access to himself. And it shows us very plainly here that the reason and motivation for Jesus doing what he has done is the agape love for the Father and for us. Continuing now in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 6. The writer continues to quote Psalm 40, but he makes it plain that this was a prophetic conversation between God the Son and God the Father, because it's kind of redundant, and you're like, why are they saying the same thing twice here? <laughs> because he might need you to pay attention. <laughs> we learn by repetition. Verse 6, multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice, and I would say also love. So I said to you, God, I will be the one to go and to do your will, to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. First, he said, multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice, even though the law required them to be offered. And then he said, God, I will be the one to go and to do, to execute your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices, and replaces that entire system with the new covenant. The author makes it quite clear that God is no longer accepting sheepy credit card transactions. <laughs> He's not going to shove that lamb through the credit card machine anymore because the sin debt has already been paid in full through the body of Jesus. So these Hebrew baby believers can stop bringing their lambs to the temple. The Hebrew baby believers needed to be convinced that Jesus, all by himself, has done what no lamb or goat could ever do. Jesus actually removes all of our sins and sinfulness. Verse 10, by God's will, 
his written will that Jesus came to fulfill. By God's will, we have been, past tense, purified and made, past tense, holy, once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. This is such good news! <laughs> we have been made pure and holy. And pure and holy is what we will be forever even when we fall short of our Father's glorious perfection. Since we are already pure and holy, which simply means that we are set apart as His, we are His kids, we are His beloved, we are His heirs, we are His. We are His inside and outside. And because we are His, we can stop trying to make ourselves into what He has already made us to be. And we can just cooperate with Holy Spirit <laughs> and let him lead us into apprehending all the good things our Father has for us that is available by faith. Doing holy or religious things doesn't make holy. God is the only one who can make anything holy, and he does it by his grace. His absolutely free, loving kindness made available to us through our Lord Jesus. Verse 11. Yet every day priests still serve, ritually offering the same sacrifices again and again. Sacrifices that can never take away sin's guilt. They could never get that clean heart, that lightness that was like, ooh, what happened? <laughs> they didn't get that from those little sheepy credit card transactions. The unbelieving Jews at that time in history just kept doing the rituals, which is what the offerings had become, just a ritual, just a way of checking off their to-do box. Unfortunately, they were doing the rituals without becoming partakers of the realities. The forgiveness of sin was no longer available through the sheepy credit card transactions. Doesn't matter how many of those sheepies you bring, none of them are effective. And even under the Old Covenant, when their offerings would have been an approved way of apprehending forgiveness, they still would need to have faith. Faith in the blood of their lamb. It was all a picture. <laughs> it wasn't just the death of the lamb that was required to find favor with God and access to God under the Old Covenant. It was also their faith in God and in his word and in his faithfulness that was supposed to lead them into offering the sacrifice in the first place. But they had fallen in. It had just become me making myself right. Brought my lamb. That's all I got to do. It was just a work and not a work of faith. Verse 12. But when this priest had offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down on the throne at the right hand of God waiting until all his whispering enemies are subdued and turned into his footstool. Verse 12, it's supposed to be a striking, contrasted picture for the Hebrew baby believers. In other words, this is supposed to upset their apple cart. <laughs> it's supposed to feel like a wake-up kind of slap in the face in order to bring them to their senses. If they didn't already believe this, this would have been very offensive. This priest? This priest sat down? No other priest had ever sat down 
much less on a throne. No priest would dare to sit down in the presence of God. Their purpose as a priest was to facilitate peace between God and man and give them access to God and his goodness all through their sacrifices. And there were always sacrifices to be made because they were sinful human beings, and sinful human beings sin. <laughs> and wherever sin was, it needed an atoning sacrifice. And that was only possible through a Levitical priest who was way too busy to sit down anyway. So these Hebrew baby believers are supposed to be both startled and in awe of this priest. Now, when we read verse 13, we have to remember that Jesus has already completely defeated all the power of the enemy, Satan, and God has already put all things in subjection to Christ. And we can see this truth in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. I have it in the King James, because I'm so used to hearing it, I like it that way. <laughs> the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, his invitation, and what the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So when the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is waiting until his whispering enemies are subdued and turned into his footstool, I think this might refer to God bringing forth in the natural realm what is already true in the spiritual realm. Because whether we like it or not, sometimes we have to wait. <laughs> even though it's already finished, spiritually speaking. Walking that out by faith sometimes takes a little longer than we would like. <laughs> now this would make perfect sense to these Hebrew baby believers, because that is exactly what they were waiting for God to, to accomplish on their behalf. They wanted God to overcome their physical enemies so that they could live in peace. And in AD 70, that is exactly what happened. The unbelieving Jews, who willfully and stubbornly turned away from Christ, found themselves overcome and almost completely destroyed by the Roman armies, who destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem and the Jewish temple. And God has never allowed their temple to be rebuilt. Because God doesn't want his people trying to go back into law-keeping and start trying to offer him lambs as some sort of tribute to Jesus. I've had people tell me that when they rebuild their temple, we're going to bring lambs in honor of Jesus. And I'm thinking, you are nuts. You might as well just slap Jesus in the face and tell him he's not good enough. Because that's exactly what that is. We will never go back to bringing lambs. We have the perfect, eternally effective sacrifice. Nothing can be added, not even in tribute. <laughs> the author of Hebrews wants his Hebrew baby believers to recognize through the scriptures 
who Jesus really is and what Jesus has actually accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And if these Hebrew baby believers start to let the reality of Jesus' eternally effective sacrifice sink into their hearts, then they will realize how utterly ridiculous it is to continue to bring credit card lambs to the temple in an effort to pay a debt that had already been paid. And it's the same for believers today, oddly enough. (laughs) So many are trying to get God to forgive their sins, when in actuality, he has already forgiven all of their sins for all time. Which is exactly what the next verse tells us, Hebrews 10:14. By his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. I love that this translation adds the word complete because the Greek word for perfect also includes the idea of being complete. You know, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing wrong with who I am. Who I am is just like Jesus in my spirit. There's nothing wrong with who we are. And this is part of the really good news. There's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) And because there's nothing wrong with who we are, we can stop trying to become (laughs) what Jesus has already made us to be. It's exhausting trying to always become something we think we're not. When what we really need to do is agree with God, (laughs) regardless of how we feel. (laughs) Agree with him that he has already made us holy and righteous and perfect and complete in our spirit. And now we only need to let our Holy Spirit lead us into all truth whereby we can live out of who we really already are. Every once in a while I get a message from a friend, and she sends me these prayers, and it's always, God, help me to become. Help me to become this. Help me to become that. And I thought, why don't I like this? (laughs) My friend loves me. She sends me messages. Why don't I like it? (laughs) And it's because... I don't think that way anymore. I am not working my fingers to the bone to become holy, to become righteous, to become approved of by my Father. That is a settled issue in my heart. So I don't have becoming prayers anymore. I have thank you prayers. Thank you that I am holy. I'm sorry I fell short right there. (laughs) But I know you have a plan for me to make right that which I have failed to do. I thank you that you're not mad at me. I thank you, Father God, that I am growing in the ability to live out of your presence. I'm getting better at it all the time, even if I don't feel like it. (laughs) My feelings don't know what is true. My spirit knows what's true. Verse 15. The Holy Spirit confirms this to us by this scripture. For the Lord says, Afterwards, I will give them this covenant, this New Testament. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. Now, the laws mentioned here are not the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Those are actually mostly written on everybody's heart. Everybody knows in their heart what really is right and wrong. 
there is this old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. <laughs> because when your life is on the line, you're willing to listen if there might actually be a God, even though you've denied him your whole life. The Father is faithful to reach out to every human being and to reveal himself to every human being in a way that they can see and believe, if that's what they want. So he's not writing the Ten Commandments on our heart. The laws that are written on our heart is the law of Christ, which is the law of love, and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which operates by faith. And this is exactly how the New Testament operates, by agape love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We don't even have to come up with it all by ourselves. And the faith of Christ, he gives us faith. He has deposited in every man the measure of faith <laughs> in our heart so that through the Holy Spirit we can believe and receive. Our Heavenly Father has granted us everything we need for life and godliness through his great and precious promises. Are you tired of that one yet? <laughs> because I want you to hear that whenever you've come up to something you're not comfortable with, a sickness, a family member who's in the hospital, a loss of a job. My Father has granted me everything I need for life and godliness. For life and godliness. I don't have to try to work it up. <laughs> he has given it to me freely. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the dearly loved children of God, and that we are acceptable to God at all times, and we are always welcome at his throne of grace. We are always welcome at his throne of grace, which is the very place we need to go when we find ourselves struggling with wrong attitudes or sinful habits. Not so that we can beg for forgiveness, but so that we can receive grace divine empowerment to help us in our time of need. We don't need to act like we're sinners standing outside the tabernacle. <laughs> we're in the presence of God all the time. As I keep studying Hebrews, I keep thinking, Paul did not write this. Because Paul would say, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> so I don't know who wrote this <laughs> but they need to read Paul <laughs> verse 17 and then he says I will not ever again remember their sins and lawless deeds funny thing about this the phrase not ever again actually means not ever again! <laughs> even when we know we have fallen short of our Father's glorious perfection, even when our temper may get the best of us, even when our patience has run a bit thin and we say something we really shouldn't have, <laughs> even when we do something really stupid and very fleshy, even then, He will not ever remember our sins and lawless deeds against us. Not ever. Not even when we are utterly disappointed in our own behavior and our rotten attitude. <laughs> he will not ever remember any of it against us. 
because he has already remembered all of those things against the body of Jesus. So our eternally effective sacrifice through Jesus continues to provide us with unrestrained access to our Heavenly Father and His great grace. I used to spend days trying to get back into the presence of God when I had fallen short of perfection. I had to beat myself up thoroughly so I wouldn't make those same mistakes over and over again, which did nothing. <laughs> because I never left the presence of my Father. I wasn't kicked out of the Holy of Holies. That's my home! <laughs> But I was taught, God is mad, you failed. Go to your room. The Holy of Holies is my room. And this makes so much sense when we realize that the whole point of forgiveness is access to God. Unrestrained, unhindered access to our Father and His goodness. Verse 18. So if our sins have been forgiven and forgotten, why would we ever need to offer another sacrifice for sin? I love that the author basically asks them to think reasonably here. <laughs> if God says he will never remember our sins against us ever again, then why would we need to take a lamb to the temple? Well, for us today, why would we need to beg and plead with God to forgive us over and over and over again? And of course, the answer to both questions is, we wouldn't. And that's his point. If we understand the eternally effective sacrifice of Jesus, and we understand that it gives us eternal, unhindered access to our Father, then we'll stop trying to get access to God and his goodness by trying to get God to forgive us again and again and again so that we can have unhindered access to God and his goodness which is exactly the conclusion that the author of Hebrews wants his readers to come to. He wants them to recognize how silly it is to try to obtain through our own self-effort or credit card lambs what our Father has already freely given to us by his grace. Unhindered access to God and his grace. Verse 19. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and with no hesitation. I love this verse because we can just barge right into the Heavenly Father's place of business, so to speak, and make ourselves at home without any fear that he's going to smack our, <laughs> our head or our bottom or anything else. <laughs> We don't have to beat ourselves up to gain interest to our Father's presence. And we don't have to soften our Father up with tears and promises in order to pacify his anger because he is not angry with us when we fail. He only wants to empower us to stop failing. He only wants us to let him help us to see the truth of who he is and what he has already done on our behalf. He wants us to be able to trust him and his ability to provide us with whatever we need on the days of our life because we are his love slaves, his bondservants. 
He wants us to understand that he's not looking for a way to punish us when we fall short. He knows that when we give into weakness or our goofy flesh-headed thinking gets the best of us, that we have momentarily forgotten who we are and who it is that has made us. When our flesh gets the best of us, it's just a moment. We forget that we are already more than conquerors through him who loves us. We have forgotten that at that moment, because of Jesus, sin will not have dominion over us. And it doesn't have the right to boss us around. <laughs> and we have forgotten that we have been made to sit down in Christ Jesus at the right hand of our Heavenly Father, where he teaches us how to rule and reign here on earth. We are his sons. We are his heirs. We are his dearly loved children. And he delights and us coming to the throne of grace, which is why he has granted us eternal, unhindered access to himself. Through Jesus' eternally effective sacrifice, he has opened the way for all humanity to be able to come into the very throne room of heaven. Even sinners <laughs> are welcome at the throne of grace. We don't need to kill another lamb. We don't need to try to put ourselves on yet another altar. <laughs> Jesus has paid the price for our forever forgiveness and our eternal unhindered access to our Father. And we can see this in the next verse, verse 20. For he, Jesus, has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. Jesus' death on the cross removed the barrier and the distance between God and man that was caused by sin. This barrier was illustrated by the veil in the Jewish temple. That was the whole point. The sinners couldn't go into the presence of God because they would die. <laughs> so he says, I love you. Stay out there. <laughs> but now he says, I love you. Come on in. <laughs> This barrier was just an illustration for them to be able to understand that there was something between God and man that needed to be taken away. Mankind could not come into God's full presence and still live. So through Jesus' sacrifice, our Father made an eternally effective way for us to always be able to come into our Father's presence. And that quote-unquote way is the way of faith and the sacrifice of the God-man, Jesus himself. The phrase, free and fresh, here refers specifically to Jesus' sacrifice as being just as effective now as the day he was slain. The picture they're trying to paint is that the sacrifice is forever fresh. It's forever effective. It's just as fresh today as it was yesterday. <laughs> Even though he doesn't die over and over and over again. It's an eternally effective sacrifice. His sacrifice would never need to be repeated because it is just as effective today as the day he died on the cross. When his father tore open the veil in the Jewish temple, indicating that the way to the father was now open and free, no more credit card transactions, <laughs> and completely accessible by faith. No additional lambs or sacrifices are required. No additional begging and pleading is required. No mandatory tithing is required. 
No mandatory anything is required. <laughs> Only faith in the God-man who died and rose again to give us his very own eternal life, which comes with eternal, unhindered access to our Father. Verse 21. And since we now have a magnificent king priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him ever again. For our hearts have already been sprinkled with blood to remove the impurity. He killed our sinful nature. <laughs> we were born again. We were raised to new life freed from an accusing conscience. And now we are clean, unstained, and completely presentable to God, both inside and out. Our sins and failures cannot separate us from our Father or our Jesus or our Holy Spirit. I remember being told, don't you dare go into that bar because you'll, Jesus will wait outside for you. And if he comes back and you're in the bar, oh, well, guess where you're going? <laughs> Nonsense. Utter nonsense. Nothing can separate me from my Father, my Jesus, or my Holy Spirit. And he is my Holy Spirit, but I'll let you know him too. <laughs> the author of Hebrews has made this truth almost painfully obvious because he keeps saying the same thing over and over again because he knows that his Hebrew baby believers have been struggling to believe in what sounds like something that's too good to be true. Complete acceptance by our Heavenly Father through a single sacrifice that is as effective today as the day it was slain? The removal of the sin barrier? Complete unhindered access to the Father and His grace? Really? <laughs> Without any additional cheapy credit card transactions, really? We don't have to pay anything? No! Why? Because Jesus is better! <laughs> That's the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better than the old. What our Father has torn up and destroyed, the veil, through his death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can never be put back in place. Can never be put back in place. Not by us, not by our sin, and not even by Satan himself. The whole point of God tearing the veil from top to bottom was to illustrate that what God has accomplished through the sacrifice of Jesus could never be undone by a mere man. God himself tore open the veil that had separated him from his fallen human kids. It was a veil that no human being in his own strength or goodness could ever tear open, no matter how many offerings and sacrifices and good deeds he could bring. According to scholars, the actual veil in the temple was between six and eight inches thick. <laughs> and it was between 12 and 14 feet high. And it was physically torn from the top to the bottom, which was an impossibility for any human to actually accomplish. But God, who so loved the world and his Hebrew baby believers, tore open forever the way into the Holy of Holies by faith by faith in the eternally effective single sacrifice of his dearly loved son. But until we come to understand these truths and let our hearts be completely convinced by the Holy Spirit that our Father's goodness and grace has been made completely available to us free of charge, we will be like these Hebrew baby believers 
afraid to fully entrust ourselves and our lives into his hands. The Hebrew baby believers were afraid that they weren't completely or always right with God. And because of that, they weren't able to enter into the rest of faith concerning either their spiritual safety or their physical safety. So the author of Hebrews has made a thoroughly convincing case regarding the effectiveness of Jesus' sacrifice to be able to remove forever the barrier of sin and death that kept man far from God. He has opened to us the very holy of holies, whereby faith we have forever access to our Father and His presence and His power and His protection and His goodness and His peace. And you get the point. <laughs> all that He is and all that He has. <laughs> and because of that, we can hear Jesus continue to speak, even to us who already believe, Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus has finished the work of salvation. So we don't need to labor to become something other than what he has already made us to be in our spirit. We can rest from our striving. We can rest from our fear by believing in the eternally effective single sacrifice of the Son of God who has provided us with once and for all access to God our Father and all his goodness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the book of Hebrews. <laughs> we thank you that you just couldn't get any more plain. <laughs> the truth of this new covenant is so clearly displayed, and yet believers haven't seen it. Because they love you, because they want to please you, they're beating themselves up. They're doing things to try to get you to be happy with them when instead they could just come by faith into your presence and receive your love and your approval and your power. They can have all that their hearts are crying out for because you've already granted it, you've already given it, it's actually right inside of them. But they have believed a lie that Jesus was not enough and that they have to finish the work in order for you to love them and approve of them. And it's such a big lie. You have done it all so that we, by faith, can simply rest and live in your presence and in your goodness all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.